Before we jump into the episode, here's a quick disclaimer about our content. The Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice. The views, opinions, and strategies of both the hosts and the guests are their own and should not be considered as guidance from Roofstock. Make sure to always run your own numbers, make your own independent decisions, and seek investment advice from licensed professionals. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Devin Redman, uh, and he's going to be talking to us today. Actually, we're both going to be talking to to you all today about mentorship, getting some coaching, how we kind of got our start in the real estate space and how it's impacted our trajectory going forward. So let's get into it. Devin, what's going on, man? Good to see you. Hey, Michael. How are you? Good, good. But not as good as you. You're out in Hawaii, right? I am at the moment. Yeah. I've got a few rental properties here. So um, I've been here uh, almost two weeks now uh, doing some renovations and uh, I've got a vacancy that I I just leased up, found what I think is going to be a great tenant. So uh, going well so far. And every once in a while I get to to the beach and, and work on the tan too. Talk about aligning incentives, man. Get to invest in rental properties in Hawaii and then go there. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Devin, let's chat today about how you kind of got guided in your real estate investing journey. Because I've got, I had a personal mentor of mine and I'll share a little bit about that. But I'm curious, did you have someone in your world, in your sphere of influence that was like really shaped how you, uh, how you became the investor you are today? Yeah, you know, I would say there's not necessarily one person in particular, um, but my first job uh, after business school, this is going back 15 years now, um, was in the commercial real estate world. You don't have to date yourself. No one was What's asking. Oh. <laughs> I said, you don't have to date yourself. No one's, at, no one's yeah, asking. I was a child prodigy. I went to business school at 15. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, it, was, it was a while ago now, but um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I worked for a, a big um, office. Uh, developer, owner, investor. And so there was, you know, a group of, of um, senior folks there who had been in the business, uh, you know, up to 30 years and had kind of seen a lot of cycles. And so I, I really learned the business from them, um, how to analyze deals, um, how to talk to investors uh, mm. and get them excited about investing with you. Uh, without overselling, right? So there was kind of that that balance always to try to find. Um, and you know, I think most importantly, uh, what I learned from doing both acquisitions and asset management after the fact was that um, you know, on the day you close, that's great. You did a bunch of analysis. Your model looks beautiful. It all goes out the window the day you close, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, you start hearing from actual tenants as to what the real deal is at the property. Right. Um, things start to break. Uh, you have to deal with stuff. The market changes underneath you. Uh, so all those things um, start happening in a very real sense once you actually own the property. So, um, you know, that was something I learned very, very quickly, very early through both experience and from um, working with this, uh, you know, this group of, of, um, of real estate folks that had, had been around a while. Oh, that's, that's such a good takeaway. And how cool that you got to like learn and kind of get your teeth cut with other people's money kind of practicing before you went. And was this all, this was all before you went and personally invested, right? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. At the time, um, you know, I was still kind of struggling to scrape together a down payment to actually buy something myself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I eventually was able to do that um, in a, for a, a condo in San Francisco that kind of got me started um, in terms of actually owning something that that then became eventually my first rental and um, 1031 out, out of that. So, so yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all connected and was kind of happening around the same time. That's awesome. And have you taken a lot of those lessons learned in those early days and really applied them to your personal investing thesis? Yeah, I mean, in in part, um, it makes it gives me some uh, you know perspective with the modeling when you're looking at a new deal. Yeah, um, in that you you don't really know what's going to happen, so actually look for opportunities that specifically I think have um, more potential to go bigger on the upside than um, you know negative on the downside. So the sort of like asymmetric opportunity. But it's not always something you can model either, right? So it's um, so it tends to drive me towards investing in markets that have uh, higher history of appreciation, right? Versus um, the cash flow, which is tends to be a little more reliable. So um, you know, and that's just kind of like what fits my my investor profile now. But I, I think it's different for everyone too, right? Mm-hmm. If you're someone that's um, very focused on uh, things happening the way you expect them to, and you don't like surprises. Then maybe you want to focus more on cash flow because that's a more reliable um, way to way to think about things. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, is this something I've seen in, in the just uh, investing uh, when I got started in the commercial real estate side in the Bay Area? It's a very volatile market, right? There's huge ups and there's huge downs, yeah. and so you can see these great outcomes when you hit the cycle right, and really, really kind of like um, tough outcomes when you when you don't. But my sense is like when the cycle's not working your losses are less than um, the big upside when it is working. So, you know, it's calculated risk that you got to get, get comfortable with. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And so question for you, if the model breaks the day you close, why even bother running the model? There's a, there's a couple of reasons. Um, number one is to at least have a baseline going into it where you can sort of evaluate how you're doing against uh, some sort of baseline that's that's um, uh, you know, a function of your expectations at the time. Right. Um, but I, I think most importantly, um, it's, it's a great way to, uh, set your, uh, starting rents, um, understand, uh, where you are on insurance, um, where you are on some of your big, uh, expenses. And, um, it's also a great way to get, uh, input from others, right? So if you do have a mentor, if you do have other, other folks that are investing, um, you can ask them to kind of take a look at the model and, and pressure check whether how you're thinking about things is really the right way, or if you're missing something, right? That makes and then, sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's also like the modeling has turned me off of a lot of deals. So, mm. um, it's, it often has resulted in a big stop sign for me. Because if you can't make the model work, right, then something is off with your pricing or um, they're asking too much for the property or uh, maybe you're not comfortable pushing rents as far as you need to to get the return you're looking for on this particular deal. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, my uh, my computer is littered with a graveyard of models <laughs> for deals that I didn't do. Right. Because yeah. the model um, doesn't support the deal. So I think it's sort of like a minimum threshold that you want to try to get over, okay, the model works. Um, now, how do I really feel about this uh, on an emotional level? And what's the upside versus the potential downside? What do you, what do you get out of your models? Uh, the proper answer. 
Duh. Uh, no, so I, I'm exactly I'm exactly like you in that regard. In that it it probably helps me steer clear of more bad deals uh, than good deals. And I think you're exactly right that yeah. that for me it's a hey this is kind of a a worst case scenario type of thing because I'm super conservative because I come from the insurance industry. So uh, getting a handle right. and quantifying okay how bad could it really get? Uh, and if that's stomachable and palatable, like that's great. Awesome. Let's move forward because it's probably going to be better. So my models tend to project worst case scenario. I think a lot of other people's scenario uh, models tend to project best case scenario. And yeah. so I would, I would uh, recommend people take the worst case, worst case approach it tends to keep you safer. Yeah. I think, yeah, the challenge is like, how do you, um, how do you balance that against what's what the reality of the market right now, where you have to be pretty aggressive to win, right? Um, yeah, I, I find that that challenging. <laughs> it's extremely challenging, and I think you, I could very easily, and so many of us could make uh, very easily any deal look bad, right? You yeah. just add a couple of heavy expenses, and, and the deal, all the deals are no go. And so you have to get really clever and balance. Uh, and we talk a lot about there's the art and science of of deal analysis, and this is really kind of the art piece of this is balancing reality with expectations and possibilities. How, you know, how bad could it really be? And what's the likelihood of that actually happening? Right. So it sounds like you, you sort of tend to model your worst case scenario, but then take it with a grain of salt too, that it's not necessarily yes. how it's going to play out. It's getting you, it's doing some service and getting you comfortable with a, a downside scenario almost. Exactly. It helps yeah. me, it helps level set me. Yep. And, you know, and I had a mentor who just totally reshaped and changed the trajectory of, of my investing career and frankly, my life because he was, he was so impactful. Uh, and so he really helped me kind of get an understanding around this is the type of modeling uh, that, that makes sense, especially for him. And he shared that with me, which has been super, super impactful. Yeah, interesting. How did, how did you find that person? Uh, strangely enough, I found him online on like a mentorship website. It wasn't paid. It was like just people helping people. And I kind of poo-pooed it, but I was, I was in like a super bad place. Like my father had just passed away and I was like, I don't know what to do and spiraling. And so my wife was super um, instrumental in, in helping get me on this website. And so I found this guy and I was like, I don't know. And, and we connected and we just really hit it off. And so it was very much so at the beginning, a, a mentor mentee type of relationship where I would ask him questions cool. and this and that. And now we chat regularly and, and we're friends. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it was turned into, it's blossomed into this really cool relationship, but he just totally gave me some of this incredible advice. Uh, I was investing all over the country and he says, Michael, like go get laser focused on one or two markets, hammer them hard and it'll, you know, watch what happens. It'll, it'll blow your mind. And that was so counterintuitive to everything I thought I knew about investing and diversification and all this kind of a thing. But I was like, whatever, I'll, you know, I'll take a flyer on this. And, and it's just been unbelievably impactful. So I, I can't stress, and I'm so thankful that I was able to get connected with him. I can't stress enough how important I think having someone who has been where you're trying to go uh, is, you know, just in life. And it's funny, we talk about, you know, professional athletes and coaches and sort of thing. If you're going to go to the Olympics, you go get a coach and no one, no one box at that. No one questions that. But I think for doing things outside of the sports arena, like in business or even in life, like if we, someone goes, gets a coach, people kind of are looking at them odd, or that's just not generally as well accepted, I think outside of the sports, which I, I don't understand why, because it makes perfect sense. If you're trying to do something better, have someone like guide you. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of, I think for some people it takes, um, you know, you set your pride aside a little bit, right? And and recognize that you don't know everything, you can't do everything on your own. Um, good at some things, some things that you're that are newer to you, maybe that you're getting into, it absolutely helps to have a guide and a coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes a, it can make a, a big difference. I'm interested because, I mean, you got your kind of coaching and mentorship and got paid to do that because that was a job for you. Would right. would you be open to paying for a coach? I mean, kind of taking turning back the clock a little bit. Do you think paid coaching or paid mentorship is is a reasonable thing in this space? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, getting access to experience um, to the right people who can both guide you away from things that aren't going to work out, right, or that don't have a good um, potential return or that are asymmetric to the downside. Right. And I honestly, like most, uh, properties on the market that you can find yourself are overpriced. Right. And, yeah. and it's hard to make them work as an investment deal. So, um, I think paying, paying for a coach who can guide you to the right sources, um, help you understand how to analyze a deal, especially in the beginning. Um, if you're talking about dropping, you know, 30 grand down payment on a rental property, um, a few hundred bucks to get some expert advice and put yourself on the right track uh, is, a, I think the return is, is huge on, on that, um, on that outlay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. And I think it also applies to a, a couple other areas like CPAs or tax professionals and attorneys. Like, yeah, the cost might be exorbitantly high when you look at on a per hour basis, but when you look up at, what they might be saving you down the road in future headache and future costs. It's like, yeah, duh, I'm going to pay an attorney or a, a tax professional to do these things for me because if I don't, I'm going to pay out the nose later. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people, I think, undervalue their own time, right? So like, what do you value your own yes. time at? Is it 50 yes. bucks or is it 250? Is it 300, right? Um, and so like, why would you spend 17 hours trying to figure something out on your own <laughs> online in random right. forums, you know, where people are posting <laughs> all kinds of things that are in their own self-interest or just, you know, uh, inexperienced, right? When yep. um, you can just go to go to someone who knows what they're talking about uh, for whatever it is, an hour and get that, um, you know, get on track quickly. Yeah. It's so good. You know, and that's it. Like, what do people value their time at? I used to be very anti, like, hiring people to do stuff around the house. Like, I'm like, I'm perfectly capable of cleaning. I'm perfectly capable of gardening. And then it came down. I was like, oh, I can pay someone for three hours to clean my house. And it cost me whatever, 30, 40, 50 bucks an hour. And that frees up my three hours to go do something that has a higher dollar per hour value. Like, oh, my God. And when I made that mindset shift, I was like, oh, this makes sense. This makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. I have the same issue when, when I'm renovating something. Um, and so like, you know, I can do some electrical, I can do like some minor plumbing, I can do a lot of like trim work and stuff like that. Um, and and uh, to some extent I enjoy it. So like I, I do, I do continue to do that stuff myself, but then I'm also like recognizing that there's kind of a limit to, um, how many hours I can put in uh, on the ground doing that kind of work. And like, there's plenty of people who are faster and, uh, and, and worth the money to get it done. Totally. Totally. Well, we like to be totally, um, agnostic on the show. We don't want to make this a rooftop infomercial. So Devin, I'm curious where in your opinion, people can find or get connected with mentors or coaches or, or experienced professionals. And maybe there are free resources and maybe some paid. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you found a, a great freebie source. Um, I don't know if that was on a, on a forum or um, a sort of real estate website. So there's definitely, I think, those those types of places where you can, um, you know, reach out to folks that uh, you see posting or that seem experienced. I don't know necessarily what's in it for them on the other side. So like that can be kind of a challenge. You, can't, mm-hmm. you kind of have to make make the right pitch. Um, I think going to your network of, of friends, other people you know who are investors. Um, I have a couple of good friends who, you know, own like 20, 20 to 50 kind of turnkey properties. And they're really into that, that sort of world, right? And they're always happy to chat and hang out and talk. Um, but I've never wanted to make it sort of like a more, more formal thing necessarily. Yeah. So I think if you want to get like, you know, really on track um, with a, a regular recurring kind of um, coaching session or engagement with a mentor, um, Rusak Academy is great for that. Um, so there's a, a couple of different options um, that are available. There's um, a workshop option, which is sort of our you know more popular tier um, that comes with a, a good block of coaching. And then even for more experienced investors, um, we find that some of them also like the routine of checking in with with other investors, um, getting expert advice. So there's um, we're also launching a mastermind program for that. Um, so those are those are also good options. Love it. And if you decide that, hey, you know, Rooster Academy is not the place for you, check out Bigger Pockets, check out Facebook groups. There are investment communities throughout the country. And I think most people are surprised to learn that. Um, and Bigger Pockets has some pretty great resources as well. And like you mentioned, like, yeah, they do. I've, I've learned it. I've learned a ton from Bigger Pockets over the years um, for, you know, for more esoteric questions, it could be hard to kind of like figure out what the right answer is or the best answer because there's so many people weighing right. in. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a, a great place to start. I think the other challenge right now is like a lot of these meetups and things aren't happening in person. Yeah. Um, and so like, I think having a regular scheduled sort of zoom check-in with someone, um, or a regular group of, of people who get together and talk, uh, is, is important. Otherwise it just doesn't seem to happen. Right. right now. Yeah. I have, I have a couple of accountability buddies and we have regular, regularly scheduled check-ins and we just talk about whatever we're trying to accomplish. And then we ask each other, hey, how did, did you do the thing you said you were gonna do? So that way we have to be accountable to more than just ourselves, because it's so easy to be like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow or next week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're not like running into people or seeing them socially necessarily right now, where a lot of that kind of no. check-in stuff or accountability would normally happen, where someone, you know someone's gonna ask you about that thing you talked about last time when you see them for dinner right. or drinks or whatever. Um, but yeah, those things aren't happening. Yeah. Awesome. Devin, well, this was great, man. Thanks for, for taking the time and, and sharing a little bit of your story with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Sounds good. It was fun. Enjoy Hawaii. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Take care. All right, everyone. That was our episode. Big thanks to Devin for coming on. Expect to see a lot more of him going forward. He's, uh, he's going to be a guest coming on pretty regularly. So as always, if you enjoyed the episode, feel free to leave us a rating or a review wherever it is you listen to your episodes. Come check us out at roostockacademy.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Happy investing. Happy investing.